Hi guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Coding and Construction Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs, the difference makers, and the game changers in the building materials coding and construction industry. Today's guest is Brent Darnell, who is a professional speaker and a best-selling author of the People Profit Connection. He's been teaching critical people skills and emotional intelligence to the AC industry for nearly 20 years. Brent, thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Tell us, tell us more about your background. Well, I'm a mechanical engineer by education, Georgia Tech graduate. I um, grew up in the construction business. My dad was a, started as a carpenter, worked his way up, and my grandfather was a painter and carpenter, so I've been around construction my whole life and got out of Georgia Tech and started working construction, mostly as an MEP coordinator, then moved up to project management and did that for about 20 years, except for about a three-year stint. I quit my construction job and became a full-time actor and writer for a while, oh, Wow, which was a little different. <laughs> it was very fun. I did a lot of theater, did some stand-up comedy, did some improvisational theater, did some low-budget movies. I had a small role on In the Heat of the Night, the old television show. Yeah, yeah. Played a redneck auto mechanic drug dealer (laughs) on on In the Heat of the Night. (laughs) So I did that for a while, but couldn't make a living at it and went back to construction. And then I had an opportunity to run a leadership development program for Skanska out of Sweden. And did that for a couple of years and really loved it. And after that, started my own business. And that was in January 2002. So I've been doing this for a while. And it's, it's all about teaching those critical people skills and emotional intelligence. And we use the emotional intelligence piece as sort of a foundation to work from. But we also bring in a, a mental, physical sort of peak performance component as well. So. We talk a lot about things like nutrition and stress and sleep and exercise and how that affects performance and longevity. Oh, I love that topic. My sort of sports background comes out, the ideal performance, Mm. all that stuff. It's it's very rich, rich area. So uh, let's break down that foundational thing you were talking about, emotional intelligence for people that don't know. Maybe just give us a bit of a backgrounder on that. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a pretty old concept. Back in the 30s, people started talking about multiple intelligences, not just IQ. You can think of it as social competence. But now we found ways to measure these things because of functional MRIs and how we know the brain works. Our emotions are going all the time. They're in, involved in every single nuance of what we do day to day, including technical stuff like thinking and problem solving and innovation and things that take place in the neocortex, a lot of that's driven by our emotional states, which takes place in the amygdala. It's in the sort of the middle of your brain. So emotional intelligence has been around for a while. And I define it as, you can say social competence, the ability to deal with other human beings. If you want a little bit more in-depth definition, you can say the ability to understand and manage your own emotions and understand and manage the emotions of others for the best outcomes. So sometimes that means being empathetic. Sometimes that means being more compassionate and 
assertive. You got to balance the assertiveness and the empathy, and also it's it has to do with your own health and well being because managing your stress, a lot of that is is about emotional resilience and understanding when your body's feeling stress and being able to manage those states in a better way. Fantastic. So you laid out some uh, be- benefits there, but for let's say the uh, the construction your construction background or the AC industry, what what are the key benefits? I mean, that the themes that come up over and over. Well, I mean, think about it. We put people on these projects, right? These multi-million, sometimes multi-billion-dollar projects. So they're in a, a highly stressed state much of the time. There's a lot of pressure with these projects. They eat crappy food. <laughs> they don't get enough exercise. They don't manage that stress very well. They don't sleep well. They're not very emotionally resilient. And then we expect them to somehow superhumanly perform at a high level. And we think that's just insane. And we don't give them any tools. And I'm talking about all the way down to the craft level, teaching people about stress management techniques and about nutritious food and about managing your stress and about sleeping better and about having an exercise program and how do we we expect high performing teams how do you have that without high performing people yeah and it's something we overlook every time I, it's really crazy when you think about it if professional sports teams work that way yeah they wouldn't win at all they would be horrible yeah sports is definitely a good area to look at because i mean whether you're doing well or, or not it's, it's very visible very quickly so there's no yeah. place to hide with uh, professional sports for sure. So you listed off a bunch of areas like sleep and exercise. Now, for that project manager or the person in charge out in the field looking after the billion-dollar project, where do you start with them? You obviously can't do everything at once, so how, how, do, you, how right. do you get going? Well, we, we have a project-based program we call Connects, and the first thing we do is evaluate. So we have a physical evaluation based on physical symptoms and an emotional evaluation that measures your emotional intelligence and 16 different emotional competencies. And from those two evaluations, we can really tell a lot about the person and how they're performing and whether or not they're in burnout and what they need nutritionally, what they need from an emotional standpoint. So we create development plans for that individual, every individual on the project, if if the whole team is doing it. And so they're focusing on the areas they want to improve in the context of that that project. We build in lots of accountability, and we tell them to start simply. And a lot of people, they start with, I mean, stress is a big issue. A lot of people just start with, I'm just going to manage my stress a little bit better. And we'll start really simply there. And we teach, I'm actually a certified yoga instructor, and we teach basic meditation and mindfulness techniques and breathing techniques that are very powerful and really enable people to manage that stress in a much better way. Wow, uh, that's good. I mean, mindfulness, is, you know, I guess staying in the present, not, right. not worrying about all the things that could, I guess, go wrong. <laughs> <Out there>. <laughs> <laughs> Creating these things in your head, I, I, that must be very powerful once they tap into that. Yes, and it doesn't mean like never thinking about the future. It just means not dwelling on it and not having a lot of judgment around it. So you can be much more effective because you can be more focused and be able to solve problems more readily. When you're in fight or flight, you're in that stressful state. Your thinking brain shuts down. You're not as able to solve problems. You can solve them more easily if you're in a sort of a calm state. Somebody's labeled that. It's this 
researcher calls it flow, being in flow. And, and you've had those days where everything goes just perfectly and you hit all the lights and when you're driving and, and everything's just perfect. And that's when you're in this state of flow. But we very rarely reach that state on a, on a highly stressful kind of project where we don't even address these kinds of issues. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the, the project manager out in the field. Looking at it from the entrepreneur, the owner, let's say maybe the innovator or the sales professional where they have big wins and they win a bid and then they lose a bid and they, you know, they're down and they get on people and they blame is that a symptom or area where you look at as well? Because that's, that's another stressful area, right? Those projects are huge, right? Win and loss, right? Out in the Def- Definitely. Yeah. And th- those are, again, that's about emotional awareness and management, basically. And we found there's a typical profile for most construction people. They tend to score high in assertiveness, high in independence, high in stress tolerance, but they tend to score lower in things like emotional expression, empathy, interpersonal relationship skills. So those kinds of imbalances in their emotional profile can cause those kinds of behaviors. And that sort of erratic emotional behavior where you're celebrating one minute and then chewing someone out the next, it's about managing those states in a better way for better outcomes. Mm. Can you give me a, a few examples on how you'd manage those states in a better way? Yeah. So say you're, you're having a really stressful day. Something really horrible happens on the project. You've got something that, that's gone just horribly wrong and it may cost a lot of money. The first thing we usually do is jump in and try to solve that problem instead of stepping back a little bit and taking some deep breaths <laughs> and thinking, okay, my mind's going into warp drive here. Let me dial that back a little bit, do some of these stress management techniques I know to do. And then my head can be clear to solve that problem in a much better way instead of just reacting and kind of going into warp drive. And, and boy, we're problem solvers and we love to solve problems. That's what we get, get paid to do and we're good at it. But sometimes that's not the best approach. Sometimes an approach is better it's better to step back. It's better to be calm in your approach. It's better to maybe get some input from some other people and think more clearly about how best to solve that issue. So those kinds of ways to manage those emotional states during those crises, a lot of times your outcome is much better. Yeah, definitely. Now, another area you touched on, I think it comes up a lot is sleep. How do people get better sleep with, with all the stress going on in their lives? Well, there's a great book I can recommend called Why We Sleep. It's this British sleep researcher, and he has some tenets that are pretty inviolable. He said, no matter what your issues are, this will give you better sleep. And the ones we always talk about are, you got to sleep in a dark room with zero light. You got to sleep in a cold room at 65 degrees or lower. You got to get rid of all your electronics in your room. No TVs, no tablets, no phones. Even battery-powered alarm clock, so I don't have to use my phone for an alarm clock. So getting all the electronics out of your room. Then we also recommend, there's some great yoga poses that calm your nervous system, that can get you ready for bed. One is called legs up the wall. It's really simple. Really? You just sit with your butt up against the wall and leave your legs up the wall for about 15 minutes. Resets your femur bones into your hip sockets, and it calms your nervous system. Your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems will calm way down. 
if you do that for 15 minutes or so. And there's some other specifics like go try to have a routine, go to bed, wake up within 30 minutes every day. Don't have these wide swings and when you go to sleep and when you wake up. But those are the main ones right there. We found when I asked the question in a like a group that we're working with, how many people have trouble sleeping? Usually it's at least 50%. And most of the time it's around 75% mm. have trouble sleeping. It's a wow. big issue. It is. and, and people get on these drugs like Lunesta and Ambien, and those drugs are really addictive and they, you get really dependent on them. They're, they're, instead of attacking the cause of the problem of sleeping, which is probably your nervous system and stress and, and those kinds of issues, plus all these other things i talked about, you just take a pill, but then you get dependent on that pill. We've, we've found that people have really a hard time getting off those. Mm. And when we when they do get off of them, we have them shave just a little bit every day to over like a period of six months to be able to get off those pills. Wow, that's definitely uh, interesting. So you're big on uh, peak performance uh, performance states now. What does that look like? I mean, there's as I, I guess some of the things that go along with that I can think of is is goal setting and stuff like that. How do you how do you balance goal setting and you're thinking about things in the future and, and sort of sort of being present and, and being sort of at a higher state of awareness. Yeah, I think it's about we try to really be simple with goals. Yeah. People will come up with these elaborate like I'm <laughs> some guy will be 320 pounds and he'll say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run a marathon in five months. Yeah. He'll say, why don't you just walk for 10 minutes a day? Yeah. How would that be? Just try that first. So we, wherever people are, that's where you have to meet them and tell them not to be too ambitious with their goal setting and try to focus on the day-to-day. That's what creates the most changes. We talk about daily application and daily reflection. Yeah. And those little bitty incremental changes day-to-day are what add up to big changes down the road. And if you set the bar too high and you fail, you're just going to feel bad about yourself and beat yourself up. So yeah. we say, okay, if, you, if you're not exercising and you want to start exercising, then walk for 10 minutes a day during lunch or after work or walk with your family or whatever. And the only decision you have to make is, do I turn right or turn left outside my house? So it's pretty simple. Walk for five minutes and then five minutes back and, and you've done it and just build on that. And if you say, okay, I think I'll go 30 minutes today. Great. But just start slowly and keep working and building on what you're accomplishing. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're talking about the project manager on the field. Now walk me through a program. I know you guys have sort of an intensive longer term program. Right. I mean, can you can you walk me through a transformation? I mean, can you give me the general conditions around the, where, where they started and what the uh, suggestions were? I, mean, I know it's different in every situation, but maybe walk sure. me through a case where there was a drastic change. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a story about a guy named Gabriel, and he had been removed from a project. Oh. He, this was a 50-year-old superintendent, and he had been removed from the project at the request of the owner. And his team didn't want to work with him either because he was a hard charger and he was an alpha and he really rode people hard and he was pretty devastated actually. So we did those evaluations. We physically, he was pretty good. He was a, he rode his bike a lot. He was in pretty good physical shape, 
But his emotional profile showed this really strong alpha, which is really high assertiveness and independence and lower self-awareness and lower empathy. And, and I just told him, look, this is just a different set of skills. What's gotten you to this point in your career, you needed those skills. You needed that hard-charging kind of alpha way of being. And he was so, he was so devastated. He said, don't these people know? that I care about them so much, that I care about the project so much. That's why I drive them so hard. And I, I said, no, I don't think, I don't think they know that. Oh. So we worked on this whole different set of skills and different ways of approaching things and different ways using more empathy, finding out what motivates people. So he, we did the evaluation. We have this thing called the EI roadmap where you work through and set some goals and decide what to work on and create development plans. And so we created those plans and we followed up every week or so and did some in-depth coaching things. And he had a bunch of accountability partners built in and he started creating some changes in his approach and they started seeing the changes. So after about six months, they put him on a new job with a very difficult client. And the client was so, he created such great relationships with this client that the client fired the construction management firm they were working with and worked directly with this contractor oh, wow. because of Gabriel. Fast forward another four months and they promoted him to the chief operating officer for the whole of Mexico, the whole country. Wow. So he drastically changed, fundamentally changed his approach, who he was, how he dealt with people. And so with some good tools to use, with some good detailed plans, with some coaching and follow-up and accountability, you can create these changes. That's the cool thing about EQ. IQ is pretty set, but EQ can change dramatically, as it did with Gabrielle. And we retested him after that, and his empathy went way up. His social responsibility went up. He was more of a team player. His stress tolerance went up. He was more able to handle stressful situations. His assertiveness went down a little bit and created a lot more balance in his profile. So his behavior actually showed up in the new evaluation. Here's another really cool thing that happened. He called me about halfway through and said, hey, I'm, I know you're not a counselor or anything, but I'm having this really difficult time with my niece. She's moved in with us. <laughs> and we, she is a pain in the butt. And everybody's <laughs> hating her. And we want her to leave. And and she's trying to run our lives and she keeps telling us what to do. And I said, I said, well, what's going on with her? And he said, well, she got a divorce and she lost her job. And that's why she's moving in with us because she can't afford to live on her own. She has no job. And I said to him, I said, do you remember when we first met and you came to me and we were starting this coaching process? I said, how did you feel? He said, I felt like a loser. I felt like a failure. I said, how do you think she feels? And there was this long silence. And he said, oh, my goodness. Wow. And so he called me a couple of weeks later and said, it's miraculous. He said, I called a family meeting and we, the whole family agreed that we would just support her and love her and be there for her and tell her she's welcome and be helpful and and her total countenance changed. Her, she was not bossy. She wasn't trying to run their lives. And he said she had already met this guy and she got a job and she's feeling better about herself and all this stuff that happened. So, I mean, how cool is that, right? I mean, it's cool enough that this guy went from being removed from a project to the chief operating officer for the country in 10 months, but it's also helping him in his personal life. 
It's, right? it's amazing. And it's, it's probably, obviously he's, he's moved up the ranks because he's affecting other people's lives too, right? Yeah, exactly. And improving everyone around him. So that's, that's very exciting. Now, did he come in sort of voluntarily or, or the company signed him up to your course? Like, how did that happen? The company signed him up. I, I had done a leadership program for yeah. a group of those guys in the U.S. And they just said, hey, this, this guy, maybe he, he can help. And so they called me and set me up and I ended up coaching four other guys in Mexico and no, five other guys in Mexico. And my nickname down there is Dr. Love. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. They say, you got to call Dr. Love. You're having some problems here. So So he got someone, you know, the company cared enough about him to to put him in this program. Now, how does someone self-identify? that they may need help in this area? Like, what are the symptoms? Well, most know yeah. what their tendencies are. The problem is they don't know how to change it. And most of these folks that I work with, they've been told the last 10 years, every review they've ever had, hey, you, you need to soften up. Well, you need to get better with people. Mm-hmm. You're, you're pissing people off. You know, they've been told that for years. But Nobody's told them how to do it. And we've developed a methodology that you can do it. You really can change, ultimately change behavior. And you can't do that in a day or a month. We found that it takes a good five, six months to start seeing any behavioral shifts. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's more like learning to play a musical instrument or learning a language. It takes place in a different part of your brain. It's not like cognitive learning. But once you get it, it's pretty solid behavioral shift. And that's the way this works. It's a big commitment, and that's why I think more companies aren't doing it. It's a, it's a huge commitment. It's a financial commitment. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. But boy, talk about change. And boy, companies waste trillions of dollars. And next, last I read this article about how much companies spend on training, on just informational event-based training that doesn't create any behavioral change at all. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Wow, it is. Now, I mean, with the sort of personal development, emotional intelligence, who's the big role model out there, the visible role model out there that's, that's do, in your eyes, doing everything right? Is there someone that sort of you have, maybe you don't know everything about them, but just from the sense that you get, they're doing everything right? In the industry or out of the industry? It could be either. In the industry, if you can, but maybe out of the industry is, is sort of, that's constraint in terms of... You know, there's a lot of good companies out there with, with good intentions. And it's for like top leaders. There are some really excellent top leaders. They're really good at creating that atmosphere of a culture of respect and caring about each other and caring about each other as human beings. I think there's a good many of those. Some of those really giant companies, I think, have lost a little bit the side of that. Mm-hmm. The, the best companies I've seen are the ones that are either employee-owned. Mm-hmm. Skinders, Skinder in Chicago is a good example of that. Their management is re- they really care about their people, and everybody's working toward the same goal because everybody owns part of the company. We work with a company called Jacobson Construction out in Salt Lake City, and they were this ninety-year-old kind of stuffy, stodgy company. And we took them. We literally trained everybody in the company. Yeah. all the way down to the foreman level. And it transformed their culture. They became this company of all about relationships and they changed their tagline to 
Jacobson making life better, right? Mm-hmm. So they were they really embraced the cultural shift with this. So the top managers really do care about their people. And I think that's a big piece of it is, is the respect and caring and getting people resources to be able to make their lives better mm-hmm. and make their work better and more fulfilling and more satisfying. And I can't think of like an individual person that does that, but there's lots of companies that are really doing a good job with that. My, my question always with caring and personal attention and, and stuff is, how do you scale that, right? I mean, I guess, you know, you said working on the culture, right? you bring in people from the outside, but what are some, what are some things that happens within those companies that, that sort of create that caring atmosphere? Well, it becomes sort of contagious. Mm-hmm. People start holding each other accountable when you're treated with disrespect or lack of empathy. Or, In fact, people tell me all the time that they can feel me sort of sitting on their shoulder and they're about to respond in a certain way and they'll go, no, Brent wouldn't like that. So they, they shift and they change. And when your culture starts shifting, it becomes, it feeds on itself and people hold each other accountable for the behaviors. And when that behavior is not there, they call you out on it. So mm-hmm. it becomes a self-fulfilling kind of a thing and perpetuates itself. But it takes a big effort. And like I said, this company, Jacobson, they've invested a lot of time and money and energy to train 235 people over four years. It was a big undertaking, but Mm -hmm. they believed in it. And it did shift their culture and change it. And now they're, I mean, like I said, they're a totally different place to be and to work. And the atmosphere is really different there. Well, that's that's a good transformation. And as your book title says, I'm sure they're doing very well as a company as well. Yes, absolutely. That's great. So now we're we're talking about your client transformation and company transformations, but how about yourself? What's been sort of the turning point? I think you could have touched on it, but maybe sort of explain, explain your turning point or your sort of transformation point for yourself personally. Well, I am a recovering jerk. I I have to say that. I thought I was the smartest thing ever, mechanical engineer, knew everything, smartest guy in the room, that kind of jerky guy that knows everything and puts people down and calls people out. That was, I was that guy. So I have my own personal transformation and it all started with a focus on the emotional intelligence and really being able to understand myself better. And then translating that to helping people understand themselves better, which which is great for me because every time I do a class, every time I do one-on-one coaching, I learn about me. Mm-hmm. I learn more about who I am and how I can be better. So the if you teach, you learn. And so I've had such an opportunity to teach at the college level, at a one-on-one level, with companies, with organizations. And it's just helped me to to be better and grow. And I've still got a long way to go. I still lapse back into that smartest guy in the room thing sometimes. And it's embarrassing for me, but it's a never ending quest. You're always looking to be better and to learn more. And I'm a, I'm a voracious reader and learner and I try to learn something new every day. So that's my quest. And I never really focused on that before. I focused on my project, my job, 
how to make that work, but also to prove people wrong and show that that you're smart and show that you understand more than they do. And and that that I'm glad is is a little bit more behind me now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. You you touched on one of your sort of learning is a sort of keystone habit. But what are some other habits or routines you found that sort of kept you on that path of uh, success or progress? Well, the one thing we tell people, if you get nothing out of this course or this coaching or anything, the one thing I would recommend that you do every day is have some reflection time, Mm. some quiet time, some me time, prayer time, meditation time, whatever you want to call that, where you're not solving anything, you're not planning anything, you're not with anybody else. It's just you. I have a morning ritual that I do where I do some morning readings from the Bible, from the Yijing, which is this book of Chinese wisdom. I do a pranayama, a breathing technique. That's a meditation technique. Then I listen to a calm meditation. So that morning ritual and routine for me and reading, and I read, I've got an app called Blink where you can listen to a summary of a book in about five minutes. So if I don't have time to to read, I'll do a a blink book. And then I read a lot in the evening before bed. And then whenever I'm stuck in an airport, I'll pull out a book and start reading. And so that morning routine really helps keep me grounded. Now, I don't do it every single day, but I Mm -hmm. probably average five times a week, four or five times a week, easy. Mm -hmm. And that helps me a lot. And I think it, we don't have that downtime and solitude enough. And I just read a book called Digital Minimalism about not being a slave to your phone. Yeah. And I uninstalled all my social media apps on my phone. Ah. And anything that doesn't give me productivity like Blink, like Blinklist, that thing with the books or something yeah. that enriches my life or helps me learn, it's off. Now, I still check social media, but I only do it when I'm at my desk. Yeah. So you don't have, you don't, when I pulled the, it took me about a week and a half. I kept pulling my phone out to go to Facebook or go to LinkedIn. Yeah. And finally I figured out, you know, it's not there. So (laughs) I stopped pulling my phone out. So now I'm interacting with the world and interacting with other people and maybe reading a little bit more and watching a little less TV. So it's been really good. Yeah. It's definitely a battle. I I always sort of find that battle with sort of balancing the, the phone time and, and trying to find the right balance of using the phone for good and, and then also try not to get on the bad side. Uh, I tried this uh, recently, just people say switching your phone to grayscale sort of mm-hmm. limits sort of the uh, sort of tendency to pull it out to more often than you should. So yeah, it kind of does. It is kind of interesting. I tried it, uh, but <laughs> I love your tips. Just kind of keeping it really simple. And that is it an app or the Blink? I think I've seen an, an ad for it. It's called Blink. Blink List is the yeah. app, yeah, yeah, that does the books. And then, do you know about the app Freedom? No. So Freedom, you can you can limit your time on certain websites or certain social oh. media apps, and it'll it'll just cut it off after a time. Oh, that's nice. And it won't let you access it anymore. So Freedom is another one that sometimes I use to make sure that I can't. But when you when you don't even have the apps on your phone. And you would have to go to the trouble to go to the Play Store and download them and install them and do all that. It's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. So you talked about reflection. You said end of the day, right? You do reflection at the end well, of the day before you sleep? Or? 
I do it in the beginning, but okay. I do a lot of reading and kind of winding down in the evening as well. So that's yeah. reflective and not in front of the screen. Although I've recently put all my books on, I don't read a lot of paper books anymore. So I'm looking at a screen, but at least I'm reading something and not playing a game or going to Facebook. Yeah. But yeah, I do the wind down at night as well, but that's my morning ritual. But you got to find the time that works for you during the day. Yeah. For some people, it may be lunch that that's the best reflective time for them. Yeah. So there's probably a, a bunch of different tips that you, you use and tools you use, but for the audience, not knowing what sort of things that they're dealing with, what, what are some sort of practical tips or, or things that you could sort of, they can take away uh, other than what you've mentioned so far? Well, i tell you what they can do. If they'll go to my website, brentdarnell.com and forward slash resources. The first document there is an emotional intelligence test that they can Ah. take. Ah. So you can get your profile and it'll tell you what your profile is and give you some things to think about on what to work on. But the other thing I would do is just ask. Ask people close to you in your life, like, what do you think? What What do you think of me? Yeah. Where could I improve? Where could I be better? And if they, if if you get five different people in your life that say, you know what, you're kind of a jerk sometimes. You kind of <laughs> cut people off, and you don't listen well. Maybe you should pay attention to that yeah. and start trying to look at some ways to be able to correct that behavior. Yeah, definitely. For people that don't do that, maybe there's a there's an element of sort of fear. Maybe they'll hear something they don't want to hear. How do they get over that? Say that again. Ask that one more time. That may be scary for people to ask certain people, you know, it's straight to, up. It's total. It's totally scary. This is. I always tell people this is some of the hardest work you'll ever do. This is not easy. This is not like learning to to play guitar or something. This is. This has consequences. <laughs> this is hard, but boy, it's rewarding. And I make no bones about it. This can be pretty scary stuff. To take a hard look at yourself is one of the scariest things you can do. Yeah. And and you have to be ready. And for me as a coach and a teacher, I have to just meet people where they are and understand that some people are not ready. And that's okay. I don't, I had one guy in a, in a, I had a group of 12 superintendents for a company. And the one guy said, you know what? I don't like this. This isn't for me. I, I don't want to do this. And I told his boss about it. And I said, I, I think we should honor that and not force him to do this. I think it'll have detrimental consequences. I think. And so we did. He said, okay, fine. And I think there's a balance there because some people that, you know, the problem is the people that need it the most will reject it first. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so sometimes it's good to just force them into that situation and let them experience it. And then once they've experienced it enough, then make a decision, but don't just reject it outright because of the term emotional intelligence. Yeah, But figure it out for yourself and make sure that you understand what it is and what we're trying to do. We're not here to, I tell them, we're not, I'm not here to fix you. You're not broken. I'm trying to find ways to make you even more effective. I'm trying to find ways to make your life easier. I'm trying to find ways to make your performance better. That's what this is all about. It's not about some deep psychological thing that we're trying to repair some broken human being. That's not what this is. That's not what it is at all. Yeah, I guess they need to feel like they're kind of in a, a safe place and not being judged or anything like that. Yeah, and that's a that's a big deal. You have to create that that safety right in the beginning of these programs, and then it's amazing what people 
come up with and the way they interact. It, it's it's amazing to me to see people grow and change during these courses. That's great. It must be very fulfilling, like you, you mentioned earlier. Yeah, it really is. That's great. Now, I've sort of tapped on all areas. I mean, you talked about a bit about performance earlier. Is there anything I should have talked about or asked you about that that I should have? Well, you know, performance can take a lot of different different sort of tacks and different approaches. But I think it, it starts with a lot of people. I work with a lot of middle-aged men, and then they say, "Well, I want to eat better. I want to lose some weight. I want to I want to manage my stress better." So I always talk about there's really a lot of elements to being able to lose weight. You can't just eat right. You yeah. can't just eat right and exercise, but you have to look at stress. You have to look at exercise. You have to look at nutrition, and you have to look at sleep. Yeah. And if any one of those are out of whack, it can keep you keep the weight on you. Yeah. So we have to really look at it's a very holistic approach. And you have to sort of look at everything and then start where you're most comfortable starting. The other thing I always tell people is it's a process that never ends. You just yeah. figure it out as you go and you'll get off track and you'll you'll have a crappy month where you'll have some financial issues or have a sickness or kids struggling or something's happening. You blow up everything. You eat crappy food. You get all stressed <laughs> out. You, you don't get enough sleep. And then you say, okay, that sucked. Let me get back on track the best I can. So you just kind of keep going back to it and, and trust the process that never ends. And you're always just kind of getting back to it. And you're never done. And you're never on top of everything 24-7. So you just keep working at it the best you can. And when you get off track, you acknowledge it and get back on track. You touched on something interesting there. I just sort of sparked a question. You talked about nutrition. Now, what what about... You may have answered a, a little bit in just what you said, but what about the people that let's say they get really healthy, they lose a lot of weight, and then there's that task of keeping it off. What what are yeah. the things around that? Well, we we always say just avoid fad diets, TV diets, and low glycemic index diets, and keto and Atkins, and you'll get the weight off, but you really. I know very few people that keep it off. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about just understanding nutrition and understanding your body and what it needs and being able to maintain that kind of nutritional lifestyle for longer periods of time and make it a, a more of a lifestyle shift. And the way you eat and, and reconcile yourself to food, we've made food the enemy. Food is not the enemy. It's just the way we eat and, and it's about modifying that and, and really focusing on nutrition and fuel, food as fuel, and less on, well, I'm just going to eat bacon for 10 weeks and drop 30 pounds because that's my high protein and I'll go into ketosis and that'll be awesome. And then you just gain all that back. Avoid the fad diets, work on basics of nutrition, which are foods as close to nature as you can get them. Don't eat anything out of a box. Avoid processed stuff. That's the stuff that's usually pretty bad for your body. Yeah. No, it's good. No, it's very, very good advice. Brent, you gave us a lot and you gave us a great tool to use on your website. So I definitely recommend everyone go there and check it out. Brent, thank you so much. Thanks. I can feel the passion in what you do and 
it's fantastic because you you spent a lot of time sort of putting all this together and and continue to sort of push this stuff forward. So I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And if anybody out there, if you listen to this, you need some help, give me a call. Go to my website, brentdarnell.com. I'll be happy to help if I can. Thank you, Brent. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to Specified. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, just forward it to them. And drop me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions. And I'll talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.